Hello, my name is Jack Richardson, and you're listening to Eddie Film Club on Fresh Air. Hello, and welcome back to Eddie Film Club for what is essentially our first proper episode. You know, last week was just me monologuing to you all. I'm sure you really enjoyed it. You know, I certainly did. But ultimately, this is a show. We like to talk to other people. We like to have a conversation, have a dialogue. So I'm very happy to say that today I have my very first guest, uh, one of my good friends, and also my flatmate, Elliot McKenna. Hi. Happy to be here. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm a bit nervous about this. Honestly, so am I. This is my (laughs) first, basically first proper episode interviewing somebody else. That is absolutely terrifying. Uh, I'm assuming, uh, I'd like to say thanks for all of your support and the nice things that you've said about last week's episode. I don't know if you've said that. Uh, because that episode has not aired yet while I'm recording <laughs> this. But I'm going to assume. We're assuming here. But yeah, so today we're going to talk about the 2012 stop-motion animation horror family comedy hybrid yeah. Paranorman. Which is my favourite movie of all time. Ever. Ever. When I saw this in 2012 in the cinema, I saw it, I immediately knew that this was going to be my favourite film. So I went and saw it again, maybe three days later. And then after it stopped its release in cinemas, I emailed the cinema to see if they were would give me one of their posters for the oh. show. <laughs> That's how much I like this movie. Uh, see, I very rarely see a movie in cinema multiple times. The only time I can think of is... I saw The Force Awakens multiple times, and also, for some strange reason, I saw Jurassic World twice, which makes no sense, because Jurassic World is bad. Yeah, that's not not a movie you want to see Jurassic World is a bad movie. I don't know why I went to see that twice. Uh, But, you know, we did. Uh, So, yeah, the first question I want to ask is, what's it like living with me? Um... Uh, Am I (laughs) as amazing a flatmate as I have been told I am? You're putting me on the spot here. Yeah. I was like setting this kind of question. Um, I'd rate you um, 10 out of 10 for fear of my own safety if I say anything less. And that is the level of artistic integrity that I'm sure that you'll all come to expect from us here at Eddie Film Club. So I want to start off by asking our new kind of first segment. We've not named it yet. You know, answers on a postcard. But provisionally, we're calling this Things We Like. Things We Like. And Things We Don't. Sounds good. (laughs) Catchy. Uh, So in this segment, we're going to talk about just some general, you know, we all have, we can have very eclectic tastes in cinema, but we have some trends of things that we like, things that we love to see, tropes that we like to see, and tropes that we do not like to see. So going to start off. If you could give me maybe three of your favourite things that you like to see in movies. I feel like I value very beautiful cinema Mm. quite a lot. I like 
scenic shots. I like, um, you know, beautiful landscapes and stuff. I, I am the kind of person who would sometimes value the look of a film over the plot or... That's the vibe. That's the mood, you know? Um, so just sometimes you, you don't really feel like paying too much attention. You just kind of want to look at something beautiful. Um, that's why I like Cosmo and Castle so much. Yeah. We've watched that together. Um, the plot of that movie is a little confusing. Um, that or... movie's plot is unwell. <laughs> it's not bad. It's just, it does... I very much watch that movie for the very beautiful aesthetics. Yeah. Um, I also value... Soundtrack would be my second thing. We love a um, good soundtrack. Love a good score. Love, love it. Um, I like when I recognise a song in a film. Obviously, I think quite a lot of people would agree with me. You know, you like to have that moment where you're like, oh, I know this song. Mm. But not too jukeboxy. We don't want yeah. Suicide Squad. <laughs> um, <laughs> levels of obvious soundtrack choices. But I do like a nice soundtrack. Suicide Squad is really the That's Moulin the... Rouge of <laughs> superhero I mean, cinema. Not, not to don't, slur don't... Uh, Nicole Kidman with that, but that yeah, that so that's what I think maybe our zero of films is yeah. Suicide Squad is the bottom. I I think that that's appropriate. You'll know from if you listen to last week's episode. I'm not the biggest fan of superhero cinema. There's some films I like. But, you know, in general, it's not my best thing. But I can appreciate a difference in quality between an Avengers uh, and a Suicide Squad, which I is think a bad movie. We definitely agree on the superhero thing. I'm also not a big superhero fan. Yeah. Horror is kind of my genre. Yeah. Um, some dramas. I like quite a lot of animated films, but I'm not a big Disney fan. Yeah. Um, I am a big Disney fan. <laughs> <laughs> not... I, okay, so I really like... Disney movies. Uh, but I don't agree with the company and the values of the company. And I find Disney people, when they're nice and some, are terrifying. Disney people TM. Yes. Yeah. I, I can't really talk too much about this because I do plan on having other Disney fans oh, on yeah. the podcast. And I don't want to alienate them. But we love Disney. You know, just some Disney fans are kind of scary. Uh, so we can put uh, that. So putting superheroes into things we don't like. Yeah. Any other kind of bugabears that you have about cinema? Um, huh. Um, I don't like, tend to like biopic movies. I feel like they're kind of boring and formulaic. I really didn't like Bohemian Rhapsody. Bohemian Rhapsody is a bad movie. Okay. The <laughs> fact that Bohemian Rhapsody has an Oscar for best editing is, and I, I, I will use that word, I will say. word again, it's an unwell decision. It's <laughs> an are you okay, hun, decision. Because, I'm sorry, like, I understand that there, are, there were backstage issues with that movie. Uh, the director came and went because obviously there were sexual assault allegations against him. And the movie really was like scraps at the bottom of a cutting room floor and some plucky editor out there had to stitch them all together. I'm very proud of them for doing that. The Oscars is not a consolation prize. It's not most improved. It's not how much you tried. It's about how good it is. And the editing in Bohemian Rhapsody is valiant, but insane and awful. <laughs> it's so bad. Brilliant. And I don't like Queen. I'm... So <laughs> 
Oh, well, that's a controversial thing that I'll have to disagree with you. I do like yeah. Queen quite a okay, lot. Okay, so let me... I don't dislike Queen. I'm just not a big Queen fan. Like, if the same movie was made... Like, if a movie of the quality of Bohemian Rhapsody, so low, was made about Cher, we can have a conversation. <laughs> but... I can't get behind this... <laughs> like a bit shady towards Queen. It would be called Believe, and it would be stunning. I think maybe you just want to share a movie. Saoirse Ronan would play Cher. <laughs> I think Saoirse Ronan in a lovely uh, middle part, uh, dark black wig, um, and you know, kind of with a bit of plastic surgery. I think that she would be great as Cher. I really want to see it. Uh, any last? Things about movies that you like, things that you don't like? Um, I can't think of any right now. I'm sure more will crop up once I get chatting about films I do like. And that is completely valid because now we're going to take a quick little break. And after the break, we will talk about your favourite movie, Paranorman. Yeah. Don't go anywhere. are back on Eddie Film Club episode one because as I mentioned before last week was episode zero uh, we're gonna be talking about the 2012 stop-motion cult classic I think it's fair to say um, Paranorman I would it's definitely a cult classic for me <laughs> maybe I'm the cult <laughs> um, I've I've seen some uh, so it's people do like love it. out there there's yeah. kind of a Leica as a studio has a decent fan base, like mm. people who like their stuff. Um, their most recent film, Missing Link, won the Golden Globe for animation mm. this year. Yes. Uh, yes. Yeah, so Paranorman, released in 2012, is a kind of family horror, uh, dark comedy, I suppose, hybrid, uh, released by legendary stop-motion animation studio Leica, we'll get into them shortly, directed by Sam Fell and Chris Butler. So I think first things first, we're going to do a little kind of plot recap, spoiler warning if you've not seen the movie. If you have not seen a movie that we're going to talk about on this podcast and you care about the spoilers for that movie, don't listen to the episode, babe. I recommend you pause what you're doing now, mm. go watch the movie, and return, and you can listen to what we have to say about it, because I would definitely recommend seeing this movie, mm. um, especially if you if you like horror, if you like animation, if you like, you know, funny... Joy. Like joy. <laughs> if you like to cry a bit, it's just some sad bits in the movie. Yeah, sometimes it's sad. cathartic to cry. It's yeah. good to cry at movies sometimes. Uh, so yeah, do you want to take us away with a quick little plot yeah. description? Um, so the the ta- the movie is set in I think fictional town of Blythe Hollow mm-hmm. in Massachusetts. It's supposed to be this parallel to Salem, um, mm-hmm. and it's about this young boy. His name is Norman Babcock. He's eleven years old, and he can see ghosts. He can talk to the dead, and in the small town he's in, he's very much isolated from his family. 
Um, his only friend seems to be his recently deceased grandmother. Um, he's very much kind of a social outcast and not not interested in the living. Um, but he seems to get on well with all the ghosts in this town. It's very sweet. Um, so the town has a legend about this witch. Um, and she's like a big, you know, marketing point for the town. <laughs> so she's a tourist attraction. Um, and the witch, the legend of the witch goes that she has, she was killed for being a witch. She was executed and she sentenced, she cursed the people who sentenced her to death um, by making them return from the grave as zombies, as the living dead, and they will never rest again. Um, so we see them, you know, putting on a school play about the legend of the town, all these things. Mm -hmm. It's very, you know, um, kitschy. And then, obviously, since it's, you know, a ghost, it's a paranormal movie, it turns out the curse is real. Um, the curse previously has been kept at bay by um, Norman's uncle, who is a very creepy um, man who Disturbing. lives on a hill. Um, and then the uncle tries to speak to Norman because Norman is the successor for this as he has the gift of speaking to the dead so he can speak to the witch. Um, and then the uncle passes away suddenly from a heart attack in a very disturbing scene with his dead body. <laughs> um, which is a bold thing to put in what is a children's movie, a PG, yeah. parental guidance children's movie, but still. Um, he's... So Norman then has to go up and he has to stop the witch's curse. And so Norman has to read from this book to stop the curse, um, but he doesn't do it in time. And um, him and a bunch of his friends have to stop this um, zombie uprising where all the um, what 16th century zombies come up from the grave um, and they're on their Puritan gear, <laughs> there's a judge um, so all it's these zombies are coming <laughs> Thanksgiving vibes all around yeah. um, this I, don't, is a perfect... I don't know anything about Thanksgiving Oh, same. Um... <laughs> we're not American this is a perfect autumn movie that I feel I, it does, it takes place you know, it doesn't set a time but it's definitely around October. Oh, yeah. And it has the atmosphere of an October movie. Anyway, um, so the zombies are up from the grave. Um, they go into the town. There's a big panic in the town where the townspeople go and attack these zombies. Um, and then there is this revelation as they try to find the place where the witch is buried that the witch was actually um, a young girl, maybe about nine years old, eight or nine years old. And she was executed by the townspeople. Um, it is kind of implied that she is a descendant of Normans, so they could, they're from the same family line. And it's very tragic. Eventually, Norman manages to talk to the ghost of the witch, who's trapped in this vengeance cycle of keeping the people that hurt her um, forever like, undead. And, you know, it's a very touching story. Um, the parallels between the things that happened to Agatha, who's the young girl who was accused of witchcraft and killed, um, and Norman's own isolation from his own town and his family, like this very strong parallels. And the story is inherently about um, 
not letting fear overcome you. There's this quote from the movie that said this multiple times. Um, it's okay to be scared as long as you don't let it change who you are. And I think that's a very beautiful message. It's such a sweet message. And that was an amazing plot summary. <laughs> yeah, I went, I went a bit. I, when I had to do a brief plot summary last week by myself, I was so bad at it because I realised that it is difficult to concisely explain to somebody else the plot of a movie. Yeah. But you did a very, very good job. I do watch this movie every single Halloween. I try not to watch it too much. I'm not very good at re-watching things. I, I tend yeah. to not watch movies again and again and again. Um, but I, so I kind of limit myself to watching this maybe once or twice a year, usually around October. So it really gets me in, you know, the mood for the Halloween season. It's my favorite time of year. I'm a big horror fan. Um, this movie has so many references to old school oh, horror. It opens so with this, um, amazing scene that like, it's like a fake zombie B-movie and you can see the mic coming down and the, <laughs> the actress to bat it away. And it's, you know, it's very... Self-aware. <laughs> it, it For a film that is ostensibly aimed at children, there are so many great horror movie references that fellow horror movie fans will absolutely get on board with, hear, appreciate, enjoy. I know I did. There's uh, what Halloween, Friday the 13th, Evil Dead, Night of the Living Dead, so many zombie movies. So many zombie movies. I mean, it makes sense that, you know, this is basically a zombie movie. Uh, although the zombies are actually a lot less yeah, scary they, than the townspeople. Yeah, I think a message of the movie that's, you know, not the obvious one, is that people have this fear of the unknown, and the fear of the unknown leads them to do these terrible things. Um, and the movie doesn't try and excuse these things that people do out of fear. It doesn't go, oh, they were scared, so it's okay. The, the movie makes it very clear that that bad things, bad actions you do, um, bad actions you do, um, can't be undone. Um, but you have to learn to, you know, move on mm. and, the, you know, deal with the things that hurt you in a kind of constructive way. And I think that's one of the... It's a very, very beautiful message of the movie. Uh Absolutely. Um, before we go any further, it's time to do our other weekly segment, Six Degrees of Shred. <laughs> bit of a segue there. <laughs> Each week on Eddie Film Club, we play a little game called Six Degrees of Shrek with the film that we've watched. Now, you've probably heard Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon. Here, we play Six Degrees of Shrek and we try we take a little Google search and we find out how many steps it takes to get from the movie that we're watching to a Shrek movie. And it is never as many as you think it's going to be. Case in point, literally last week, I was talking about a 90s French indie movie. Mm -hmm. the, the main actor is in Shrek. Uh, oh. He plays Monsieur Hood. If you listened to last week's episode, you heard me sing his song. Um, <laughs> We're not going to do that again. I have heard you sing that song multiple times. It's quite a stunning rendition. Some have said that I sound like Celine Dion. Um, I, so, some. 
I don't, don't want to expose them. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I, I also realized after recording last week's episode that I needed to codify the rules of Six Degrees of Shrek okay. more. Because I, last week, I said that La Hen has a Shrek number of one. And I have decided that that is not true. Because Vincent Cassel in La Hen is also in Shrek. So I think that if we're talking about a movie that has an actor that's also in a Shrek movie, then that is a Shrek number of zero. Mm-hmm. And then if it's one movie away, that's Shrek number of one. So on. All the way up to six. I'm trying to see if we can find a movie that has a Shrek number higher than six. I don't think it's possible. Maybe A Trip to the Moon, uh, the 1902 movie that I talked about last week. You know, you, you 19,000s kids will remember. Uh, <laughs> but that doesn't count because they're all dead. Oh, um, okay. So that's that's one of the limiting factors. <laughs> yeah, so Paranorman has, drumroll please, a Shrek number of one. And this is the new one. So yeah. it has a relatedness of one. Exactly. Because Anna Kendrick, who's in this movie, yes. plays the... She plays Courtney. The sister, I believe. Norman's older sister, Courtney. Me. Who's I very, very, her. a very cheerleader type character, but she turns out to be very, very caring. Mm. Actually, it does break that sort of stereotype of the cheerleader. It just continues the theme of this movie, which is don't judge a book by its cover, you know? Very much so. You think you're gonna see what is essentially just a trope, and then you see it subverted and twisted on its head, and you go, wow, I wasn't expecting that. Mm -hmm. Uh, So yeah, this movie has a Shrek number one, because Anna Kendrick starred with Cameron Diaz, who plays the indomitable Princess Fiona from Shrek, and they were in the movie what to expect when you're expecting, which is a movie that I don't think we're going to talk about <laughs> on this podcast. I don't think I've I, never seen it. I don't think I want to see it. It doesn't seem yeah. maybe not my thing. I no hate to children. Oh, I hate children. I hate babies. This is why I don't watch past the first season of Stranger Things because children annoy me. I can't. I, I find it hard to <laughs> relate to them, and I don't need to see a movie about but, babies' pregnancy. But you did, you did like Paranormal. I did like Paranormal. You like that child. He's a, I, he's, he's a, he's a very relatable character. Yeah, I P. Think. Norm, as I decided to dub the, him. Yeah, the whole movie. Yeah. Um, so we watched this movie very recently, yeah. maybe like a month ago, if not. Yeah, I think Probably so. a little bit within less. The, within the past month. Yeah. Um, and obviously, you've seen this movie a lot. I have. Done. Yeah, I've watched it maybe once or twice every year since 2012. <laughs> this was the first time I've ever seen the movie, and I really, really enjoyed it. And but I want to back up real quick, and I want to mm-hmm. talk about Leica as a studio. Mm-hmm. Leica, as we've kind of touched on already, legendary stop motion animation I think studio. Coraline would be their biggest mm-hmm. thing, but they also did Kubo and the Two Strings, The Box Trolls, Missing Link. Yeah, um, they did supplementary work on Corpse Bride, the excellent 2004, I think, Tim Burton stop motion movie, mm-hmm. uh, which I feel like exists as a spiritual successor to Nightmare Before Christmas in a weird way, seeing... It's very much Tim Burton's style. Yeah, absolutely. However, Tim Burton does get credit for Caroline when he didn't 
yeah. have any involvement. And sometimes people do conflate Tim Burton movies, animated movies, and like a studio movies, mm. especially this one and Coraline, because they both have this kind of spooky, they both have the character designs of, have this kind of pallor to them where they're not designed, they're not Disney designs where um, they're very like stylistically beautiful, the, there's flaws in all the characters' faces, you know, you can see people's like skin mm-hmm. um, discoloration, you can see eye bags and... Yep. Um, they're not trying to be beautiful and they're not trying to be perfect or flawless, they just kind of exist as they are um, and yeah, I think it's Leica, I think is really interesting as a studio because it has stuck very steadfastly to stop motion animation. Yeah. It's been a real champion of stop motion animation in the film industry. Um, and I, I think it's really interesting. Their films often, they're all family friendly films, mm-hmm. but they often have especially as you can see with Coraline Mm -hmm. and with Paranorman, but they often have a kind of hint of darkness, of sadness. There's Mm -hmm. a melancholy to them. They aren't afraid to push into what some would consider mature themes. Yes. Um, And that is, you know, stays consistent throughout all their movies. And like a lot of their movies do mortality or parental death or, you know, loss. Um, They also... Famously, in Paranorman, is maybe the first PG stop motion film to have a gay character. I think it's the first. I might be wrong here. I think it might be the first animated film f- for kids, full stop, uh, with one. Uh, and they continue that in the trailer for the Box Trolls as well. Yes. It's, they also, you know, reference families having two mothers or two fathers. Um, so they're very. Groundbreaking as a studio, I think, both in terms of animation. Um, I'm not an animation expert. Mm. I can just tell it's very beautiful. I know they, <laughs> they've recently moved into 3D printing all their tiny pieces. Yes. Um, they, there's so much attention to detail in these movies, like every strand of hair and um, every you know item of clothing is made perfectly. I, there are some effects, particularly in terms of things burning in this movie, that I was shocked shocked that this was solely done through stop motion mm-hmm. you know there's no cgi aid this is a stop there is, i think there is some cgi aid. oh i read that there wasn't any but i might be wrong here i think um, they they need it for certain scenes in terms of blending yeah. so there is some there's definitely some computer yeah. but it's input. like tiny bits it's like barely anything you know the fact that all of this is done through stop motion is just like honestly incredible you know, we stan Leica on this podcast. We're adding them to Eddie Film Club's list of stans. I think their, their ideas as a company very much reflect their name, who is Leica the dog who went over to space. So they're not afraid to push things, I, I think. I did not even know that. I It just came to me now. <laughs> I, I just... I just thought of it now maybe it's not that's not something i believe they've said but that's what i like to imagine i imagine you know oh, yeah. they're they're that dog going off into space breaking boundaries you know and that would be honestly so sweet we love to see that <laughs> we do um so yeah like a great studio um another thing that i want to touch on um that we've kind of hovered around 
but Paranorman is essentially a horror movie for kids. Mm-hmm. And this is a sweet spot that is so, so very hard to hit. Like I hit it really well. Um, but it's really not easy. Some of the scares are actually frightening. Yeah, they're um, frightening. There are some disturbing bits in the movie. You know, the whole scene with the uncle's dead body. Um, that's a gross-out scene. But yeah. There are a couple of, you know, little jump scares. You know, zombies popping up from the ground. Um, if you've seen any zombie film, like, a lot of the scares are very similar to how a format of a zombie film is. Um, the soundtrack really helps in it as well. I think the um, the way the music builds is very similar to kind of Halloween's theme. Um, that kind of, like, thrumming-type mm. sound effect. This is Halloween. That's a different movie. (laughs) This this do be Halloween, though. Uh, But yeah, I... And actually, this may not be the most obvious comparison, but while watching Paranorman, I was comparing it to another movie that I watched not that long ago, uh, the Tony Collette star vehicle, Krampus, which is not a great It is also a family horror. It's also a family horror, and I think that it misses the mark in terms of family horror in a way that Paranorman does not. Uh, Krampus feels too scary for kids, um, but not scary enough for adults, and it's it's not scary enough, it's not funny enough, some of the designs are cool, but I don't know, it doesn't really work for me, whereas Paranorman hits this really hard spot where it is it can be grotesque and it can be scary, but it always feels firmly for kids. And it's scary in a way that like goosebumps the the live yeah, action goosebumps for me is maybe so. not. I think the selling point of Paranorman would be that it always prioritizes, you know, the emotional like depth and actions of the characters over any scares. So maybe where a horror movie might prioritise a scare. And I think Krampus fell into this as well, where it might kind of push for this to be scary rather than rather than for it to be a actual genuine emotional moment for the characters. And I think that's where Paranorman really wins is that all the most sad and sort of disturbing moment of the film is when the camera pans over and you realise that the witch that mm. it's been so feared in this town and you know it's a big statue of her where it's a very stereotypical witch design she's portrayed as this evil evil character and the antagonist um, is revealed to be this little girl crying mm. for her mother it's honestly that's one of the most chilling parts of the film rather than any scares. It's really moving as well you, you feel real empathy for what up till now has been kind of your generic uh witch villain character mm-hmm. um i mean i, I think... obviously felt empathy already because we stand witches on this podcast we do um this is a this is a craft loving podcast uh... very much so and i think that point of the movie obviously before this point we have realized this isn't a typical kids movie format but mm. that really solidifies this as you know they don't have an super evil antagonist that is usually typical in a kid's movie, like the big mm. scary, like Pocus Pocus style witches um, who just come down and are evil for no reason other than their own malice and vengeance. But Agatha's 
you know, turns out to be even younger than Norman. He says, you know, we're the same age, we're the, like, we've gone through the same things. Mm. Um, uh, yeah, so a big theme uh, is bullying um, and... Social isolation, I'd yeah. say, is kind of... This film can be read, like, and I guess it's slightly more than a metaphor. Mm. Um, because that is how Norman is perceived in this town as having a mental illness, and a yeah. lot of the interactions between him and his family are kind of indicative on of what it's like being young and having this mental illness that maybe people don't understand, mm. or being seen as you know weird by your peers, being seen as crazy or a freak. Um, the way his own family seem apprehensive and almost scared of him. Um, Everybody in this movie, to begin with, is so mean to yeah. P-Norm. <laughs> uh, it made me feel so sad. I understood, you know, there are bullies and, the, you know, bullies don't even need a, a reason, but they're just... Ab- everybody's absolutely horrible to him. Well, there is Neil. There is think, our beloved Neil. I think Neil. what Neil in this movie not only represents people reaching out to, like, someone... But also represents Norman kind of pushing people away because he doesn't want to think, look outside of this world he's created for himself, where he's he can he doesn't trust people, he doesn't want to get close to people because he doesn't think he belongs with them. He he sees himself as an outsider as much as everyone else in the film sees mm. him as an outsider, and this definitely changes as the film progresses. They all manage to come together and and very <laughs> friendship is magic type fashion but yeah. not not as cheesy i think it's very you know well done and he managed to bring to bring together these two sides of his life you know the side that sees the dead and is connected to the very literally another world and the side in reality and he manages to connect with the people around him and you know what i i know i made on this film that I took down last night. Yes. Um, was that the zombies in the film represent Agatha kind of stagnating in her past. Uh, um, <laughs> that makes so much sense. So the ghosts would represent the kind of positive memories and like holding on to the past as a way to heal. Mm. Um, and that's, you know, Norman's grandmother who he sees and she's very caring for him and she stays around, you know, in the afterlife for him to look out over him. And Agatha keeps the zombies, keeps the people who hurt her, all these bad memories, in this state of undead. And I don't think the movie is trying to criticise people for being angry at the people who hurt him. Yeah. Because I think Norman himself says, you know, I also felt like I maybe wanted the people who hurt me and who isolated me to suffer. But what good does that do? Um, P-Norm is so wise (laughs) in this movie. In all seriousness, this is a very, very, I think, in a very important movie uh, for, like, the development of kids in terms of the message, like, this, like, idea of, like, a celebration of, of difference, you know? In yeah, absolutely. Not um, judging a book by its cover, you know, why it is wrong to isolate people. Uh, and I, like, I could completely imagine... Uh, this like that's the thing like movies are important movies shape who we are and especially when you're a kid and you're very impressionable I think it's good for kids to see a movie like this and uh, I mean it's kind of scary but 
I think that it's not as it's not so scary that it, it you know it hits that sweet spot. Um, and I think this is a really really. I think solid when I movie. saw this movie, I was thirteen. Yes. Um, and it. You know, the reason it's my favorite movie is because it resonated with me so deeply. You know, there was a time, you know, you feel isolated from your peers. You you know, I, I saw myself in this character. I was mm. like the way he walks through the halls and doesn't make eye contact and, you know, seems he feels he's other from other people. And that's definitely something I think young young people can relate to. Mm. I I thought I would struggle with the fact that Meryl Streep is not in this movie but ultimately we worked our way through it i did want to touch on uh it did make me feel slightly uncomfortable uh because casey affleck is in this movie um Mm -hmm. this was back when uh we still liked casey affleck uh before his uh sexual harassment and assault allegations came out against him um he is a trash bag of a person so it's weird to see him in a movie before all that comes yeah. out, before his Oscar win uh, for Best Leading Actor from Manchester by the Sea, uh, before the infamous... Uh, and honestly, super cool protest by Brie Larson in refusing to clap for him uh, when she called out his name for the award that he won. Um in solidarity with his victims and honestly yeah this is a very weird it's something that i feel like we're having to reckon with a lot more oh nowadays definitely yeah especially with me too all these like brave people who have come forward with their stories of the kind of systemic sexual misconduct within the industry and now when you're going back and watching an older movie has these people in it, it can sometimes be a bit jarring. Uh, and we had this a Big Hero 6 the other night as yes. well. Yes. T.J. Miller is in that. Oh, okay. So we watched Big Hero 6. I'd never seen Big Hero 6. I love Big Hero 6. Baymax is the most adorable character. Like, oh, 100%. just want to give him a big hug. But yeah, T.J. Miller uh, of Silicon Valley fame is also in that movie. Um, and he, you know... Uh, he, back then, was just like a kind of fun comedy uh, actor. And he is, has now turned out to be a, a, a big old bag of garbage. Um, you know, sexual assault, uh, transphobia. He made a false bomb threat. Oh, yeah, we were reading his book. Which he was arrested page. for. I don't really understand general, what happened there. General bad person, yeah. we would say. Um, and then they recast him for the TV show. I, I would be interested if they ever do anything with Paranorman again. Is yeah. Casey Affleck going to be in it? Although, I don't... I don't think this movie could have a sequel. I think it's perfectly... I, yeah. And it be out of character for Leica to make any kind of... Yeah. Sub, um, Leica don't... That's not really like as thing. They're not really looking to franchise. They're yeah, not really they're looking very much, to. I feel like they definitely have stories to tell, mm. and those stories don't need sequels. And oh they're, yeah, they're very much, um, you know, condensed like um, condensed condensed they're... into the movie, and they don't they don't need you know a billion sequels i find that really refreshing as well because i think i mean this is kind of a trite 
thing to say now, but so often uh, Hollywood likes to beat a dead horse and Very much. keep on making sequels and trying to recapture that kind of lightning in a bottle, that magic that they had to begin with. And it sometimes it can result in really good movies. Like I'm thinking like The Incredibles 2 is a is a really good movie. Definitely. Um, sometimes it results in a Finding Dory, which... <laughs> Your least favourite movie, maybe of all time. Like, I just, I don't know, I find Finding Dory a, a shallow husk of a movie that has a cool, grumpy octopus. And that's about all that is noteworthy or <laughs> worthy of quality. Um, although they did uh, spend a lot of time animating that octopus. I can't even remember now. Um, I don't know. I I don't know much about Finding Dory. I don't think I've seen it. it don't watch it. Okay, I won't. Monsters it's not University really my, my type of animation anyway. I don't yeah. tend to go for CG. It it depends on the CG. It depends on how well it's I think it could done. definitely be done well. Mm. Um, but for me... CG, like, I might go see a stop-motion film by virtue of it being stop-motion. Yeah. Um, I don't think I'd go see a CG film. I think the plot would have to carry it for me. That's my kind of mm. pick in animation. Yeah. Um, or it has to have a very, like, appealing style for mm. me to want to go see it. I really don't like in CG, the recent trend in CG animation, to make a cartoony style, but to do the details very hyper-realistic. And... Oh, and how everybody now has the DreamWorks screen. That <laughs> every like uh, I know some of y'all love Frozen, um, and Frozen's a, a good movie. But the poster, uh, especially also the Tangled poster as well. They have that classic oh. DreamWorks screen with the kind over of the half, hedge. Oh, over <laughs> the hedge. How do they get the raccoon's face yeah. to do that? Half smile, raised looking, eyebrow, raised eyebrow, looking a bit cheeky. Looking a bit sly and uh, mischievous. Yeah. We can leave the DreamWorks face to rest. Yeah, um, I don't particularly need that. Um, but yeah, I, I completely hear what you are saying about kind of the proliferation of CG animation. Because a lot of CG animation is good and a lot of it is bad. As with any kind of medium, but I think that there is a particular appeal to stop motion animation because there's just a lot less stop motion animation. Oh, definitely, yeah. Um, and However, I will say there's something inherently a little creepy about claymation specifically. Yeah. Um, I feel like everyone has had a claymation movie that they maybe watched when they are little <laughs> that has creeped them out a little bit. Pingu's terrifying. <laughs> I love, I like how claymation looks now, but in the past... Was it David and Goliath? Was that it? Oh, that scared me. It's um, so scary. Just the the it's a very specific sky, style of claymation that's a little bit uncanny valley. Mm. Yeah, I it has to be done properly. I actually, while I was researching, um, kind of looking into the history of stop motion animation, I came across some comment, and this is really bad because I cannot remember who said it. Um, but a lot of people have made the same observation where there's something really interesting about stop motion animation because it's actually very accessible. It's both very difficult to do well yes. and very accessible to get into because, because it's for very, a lot of filmmakers, yeah. it's the very first project that they can do as kids. 
There's so many YouTube videos of Lego stop motion oh, yeah. series, which I love. I think that's it's such a wholesome form of animation for you know young people doing it just mm-hmm. out of the passion for it. I feel like part of stop motion is it's very much you have to put a lot of passion into it. Yeah, you can't um, kind of. Obviously, all animation, a lot of mm. joy and passion is put into it. But stop motion particularly, you have to kind of physically get in there. And, you know, you see these sets from the Leica studios of them, you know, walking around and, um, like, moving everything mm. individually. And it's there's something very um, hands-on about it that I really like. It kind of has this... It also has this kind of rough quality to mm. it. Stop motion is so, so very difficult, you know? like. What and it's it's mind boggling the amount of time and effort and patience crucially that you need to make a stop motion movie. Like I, I don't have the patience to, or I wouldn't have the patience to work <laughs> a day on three seconds of film. I've I have made an animated film before, a very mm-hmm. short one, um, in high school, and that was digital animation. There's there's plenty of shortcuts yeah. you can take with digital animation. And even that took me, you know, hours and hours mm. of work. And it was only maybe 30 seconds long. Oh, it, it, it's just so difficult. I have so much admiration for animation as an art form. I have, yeah, we, we stand animation on this <laughs> podcast. I, it takes so much work and so much effort. And even when I don't like an animated movie, I respect the craftsmanship that's gone into it. Unless that movie is a nut job, or, <laughs> or food fight, or the terrible, terrible movie Food Fight, I think. Well, we've not seen it yet, so we'll, we'll make a judgment. Maybe it's so bad it's good. Maybe a future episode of on Food Fight is in order. Honestly, you should watch the trailer for Food Fight. I'll probably put it, the link in the the bio of this episode, uh, the episode description. Uh, Honestly, you should watch that trailer. Um, There's a a lot to unpack in that trailer. It's so disturbing. (laughs) I'll tell you what is good comedy horror uh, for children, not Food Fight. Because Food (laughs) Fight is legitimately disturbing. Do we have any closing thoughts on Paranorman? Um, I think... You should definitely watch this movie. It's a great Halloween movie. Mm. It really gets you in the spirit of kind of autumn. And it has like so so many emotional moments. Um, It has so many comedy moments. It's generally just, I would rate it maybe 10 out of 10 for my personal standard. Because it really is my favorite movie. Um, And I would highly recommend you go watch it. I would give this movie a solid 8 out of 10. I really enjoy this movie. I think it's a very beautiful movie. Uh, I just think it's a really, like, solid, solid stop-motion horror movie. And perfect for this season when you're feeling a little spooky, spooky-ooky. You know? Yeah. If you, want, if you want a Halloween movie that's not straight-up horror. Because it's definitely not straight-up mm. a horror movie. Because um, I know, I know some of you... Freddy cats out there. That's okay. Not everybody's into and I think horror. If you like horror, you'll really like this movie as well. Yeah. Uh, and with that, we have it on our segment on Paranorman. Just to remind you, Paranorman 
came out in 2012, directed by Sam Fell and Chris Butler by Leica Studios, and you can find Paranorman on Now TV Movies. We'll be right back after the break. And we are back. So as you know, on Eddie Film Club, we like to close out each week and show that we are multifaceted, well-rounded people with interests outside of film. Yes, mum. Please <laughs> believe me. Um, so yeah, to end each episode, myself and my very special guest will share one thing we've enjoyed this week outside of the world of film and Elliot would you like to kick us off what have I been doing this week what have you been doing stressing about university (laughs) um what I have done this week which is very much on the horror theme Mm. and in line with my interests I consume a lot of horror um I recently read Junji Ito's um adaptation of Frankenstein Mm. you know everyone you know knows the story of Frankenstein um, Junji Ito is one of my favourite manga artists. He does these very detailed, um, highly disturbing yep. horror. Um, this is definitely not rated PG, I would say definitely <laughs> rated 18. These are highly disturbing horror manga. Um, Teens, stop listening. <laughs> um, and he draws with this incredible detail. Um, what mm. that, So that's what I've been up to this week. I read that online. Um, I'm thinking I'm going to buy a physical physical yeah. copy because it was really really good it was such an interesting adaptation mm. so many people get um frankenstein and um like victor frankenstein and the monster um interpretations kind of wrong yeah um they they make it scary for the wrong reasons it it's sad to me as well because i think it's such a compelling story still and it's such an interesting framework oh, to brilliant. Yeah. interpret and to adapt but it's just been done wrong a lot of times. Yeah. I feel... Yeah. yeah. Um, and Jujito's adaptation, I think, is brilliant. I'm a big fan of all his work. He, he's written one of my favourite manga of all time, which is Uzumaki, which mm. is a really disturbing um, story about a town that's got taken over by spirals. Um, he does these very almost Lovecraftian-inspired um, style of horror, where there's a lot of body horror, a lot of... Mm. Um, but also a lot of kind of emotional internal horror. So for the the Halloween season, if you're a horror fan, definitely, um, even if you haven't read manga before, I would definitely recommend it. Mm. Finally, an adaptation of Frankenstein that won't make Boris Karlov <laughs> roll around in his um, grave. Spooky. Spooky. Spooky-ooky. Do you have something... Halloween themed? You'd like to talk about? No, <laughs> not at all. No, I on the on the theme of animation. Uh, as as I talked about last week, I'm a bit of a gamer. Uh, as well, I am a little bit of a sweaty gamer boy. <laughs> um, not metaphorically sweaty. I am quite a, a sweaty human being. Um, nobody. I'm, no, no comment on that one. <laughs> I'm never gonna be wet after this podcast. People are just gonna listen to it and go. You're you're gonna be a bachelor for life. There's no dowry big enough. <laughs> For that, let me tell you. <laughs> a wizened crow in a way. <laughs> <laughs> a little hag, that I am. Uh, but no, so this week, I have been 
playing through the entire Kingdom Hearts series. For those of you not in the know, Kingdom Hearts is the most wild game franchise ever. It's a crossover by Square Enix, the developers of Final Fantasy. It's like an RPG with kind of original elements, combining Final Fantasy with Disney. With Disney, very much the main point of this. (laughs) Developed by Tetsuya Nomura, uh, or directed rather, who, um, for any uh, JRPG fans, they'll know what I'm talking about. That man loves a zip, he loves (laughs) a belt, um, and it is wild to watch emo Mickey Mouse uh, just just be covered in zips. Yeah, I've been witnessing you play this game. And <sighs> I don't I know nothing about this game. Um I had I think I got it mixed up with Final Fantasy, which is a very serious mm. you know, Sin. um game. And then Donald Duck starts walking around and you start <laughs> you start hitting things with a big key. Um I'm not sure what's going on. It is so weird to hear um <laughs> uh, anime uh, philosophy explanation done by Donald Duck. It's so surreal to see Goofy walk around in a kind of a turtleneck uh, and a, a big fancy belt. Uh, the, the games are have a very rabid fan base. I I enjoy them. Um, I'm working my way through the entire series. I'm starting with the first one. Let me tell you, this game from 2002 or so has not aged well. Uh, The gameplay is problematic uh, for me. From the amount of swearing that you do at at the screen. It frustrates me so much. Like, this was like groundbreaking in the early 2000s. Now, it's just so frustrating. And like, if I didn't want to experience the whole story, which I do, um, I would have started with the later ones, but I wanted to start with the very first one, mm-hmm. work my way through, and you know what? Don't get me wrong, there are still some really good parts of this game. I just got to Halloween Town. Oh, um, that is on topic. Yeah, which is the with nightmare before Sorry. Christmas world. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's so good, so well realized. Um, the Aladdin world is also really well realized. The Little Mermaid world is hot steaming garbage <laughs> uh it's the 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 water mechanics and the swimming is just so very very terrible but you know what like as i think that the main purpose of these games at least for me i know a lot of people are very invested in the characters and you know what so am i um kind of but this game works for me as like a kind of love letter to some like animation classics which is why it's so upsetting to me that there is no world based on Treasure Planet. <laughs> Which is your your favourite movie. It, okay, so I don't have a favourite movie. Okay. Because I'm very indecisive. But it's definitely in, like, my top ten favourite movies. Yeah. Um, Along with Ratatouille, which we'll, we will talk about in a future episode. I'm, I would love to be here for the Ratatouille yeah, episode. I'm cooking that one up. Uh, <laughs> you are the little chef. <laughs> I am the little chef. Uh, I'm a little rat. How's your French accent? Oh, uh, monsieur, it is, uh, it is terrible. It I'm, is terrible. I'm sorry. I, <laughs> sorry, Fran. I once acted in a, in a quite stunning play. I did a beautiful French accent. I don't know where it's gone. Um, back I, to France. <laughs> I must have lost it down the back of my sofa. Oui. 
Um, thank you for listening to... Au revoir. <laughs> Au revoir. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Eddie Film Club. Really appreciate it. You, If you want to comment uh, on this week's episode, if you want to suggest a future movie, if you would like to be on the podcast, maybe, let us know. We are on email eddiefilmclub at gmail.com. Instagram, we're eddiefilmclub. On Twitter, we're at eddiefilmpod. Uh, and you can find me on Letterboxd at Tismi Jack. Uh, do you want to plug any of your any of your socials? No, I like to stay mysterious. Yeah. Silent. Yeah. Mysterious. I've been very happy to be here. Thank you so um, much for I being like my first guest. Movies. I would like to love to be on another time. If you run out of people, I'm very <laughs> accessible as your flatmate <laughs> i would love to have you on thank you so much for being my very first guest and thank all of you so much for tuning in please like us subscribe to us and spread the word we're a brand new podcast and literally every little helps tell everybody about us because remember the first rule of eddie film club is tell all your friends about eddie film club Happy Goodbye. Halloween. Happy <laughs> Halloween. <laughs> Spooky.